Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Aaron O'Toole says the new cabinet poses a threat to Canada's national unity and post-pandemic economic recovery. What I have right now as an extraordinary team that is reinvigorated, that is ready uh, to step up and fight for the big things for Canadians uh, is uh, a team that I'm very, very much looking forward to working with. A new defence minister will face the challenge of handling misconduct issues within military leadership. First of all, I want you to know that I'm going to be reviewing everything. I'm going to be reading the past reports regarding misconduct in the armed forces, as well as the recent independent review of the military justice system. I will be asking the department for an analysis of the recommendations that have already been implemented, as well as the ones that have not been. And Jason Kenney says referendum results are a sign of Albertans demanding respect from the federal government. They're demanding that the jurisdiction of this province under the Canadian Constitution be respected and demanding that we be able to develop this economy and responsibly develop our resources so that, yes, the rest of Canada can continue uh, to benefit from Alberta's future prosperity. It's Wednesday, October 27th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Mark. Let's talk about the new federal cabinet. Um, what, what stood out to you from the announcements yesterday? And what's your reaction to conservative leader Aaron O'Toole saying it's a group of largely inexperienced and ideological individuals that threaten national unity and economic recovery in this country? Well, I, I mean, I think it would be much more newsworthy if the leader of the opposition came out and said, gee, there's a great cabinet full of dynamic people uh, who are going to lead the country forward, and we wish them the best, and, and we'll hold them to account, but we'll work hard. But that's not really what opposition leaders say, is it? Mm. Um, you know, it's it's some new and some old. It's a, it's a very, very significant shuffle, obviously. Um, but, you know, really, this government, like so many governments of the previous 20 years or more, is so prime minister-oriented that uh, you can change a lot of faces in the cabinet and not change much about the government. And, uh, I mean, I think, um, you know, the, the message of keeping Christia Freeland as deputy prime minister and minister of finance sends a, a message of stability and... and uh, predictability, I guess, to some degree, to the markets and to uh, and to the country. Um, and, uh, you know, as a, as a result, I think what you're going to see is a bit more of the same, if you will, um, because this really is the same group of people that were running the country before the election uh, that are going to be running it after it. Yeah, and let's talk about a few of the appointments. Um, Anita Anand is is the new defense minister. Uh, she's earned significant praise for her handling of the uh, procurement process to, to get vaccines into this country. Um, she's taking over uh, a department that has been devastated by a series of, of controversies, allegations of sexual misconduct, of of systemic problems. Uh, this is not going to be an easy file to handle. Uh, what did you think about that appointment? Well, it's a huge promotion for Anita Anand, who I don't think is a household name in Canada, even though she should be. I mean, she took the vac uh, vaccine procurement file from zero to 60 uh, and handled it incredibly well. 
Um, you know, you can say what you want about the federal response to the pandemic, but it's hard to find much to criticize about the uh, about her handling of, of procurement of these vaccines. And vaccines are helping us get out of this national and international crisis. So obviously, this is a person of massive capability and uh, tremendous energy and resolve. But she is taking on a heck of a of a quagmire at DND, uh, and especially on the military side. I mean, you know, as a lot of of your listeners will know, Mark, there's there's the military, and then there's the civilian DND. The problem is on the military side, and the military is where the culture has to be reformed. And this is not going to happen during the term of, of Anita Ananda's minister or during the next few ministers. It is a long-term change of attitude uh, within the military that has to take place. Um, you know, there has to be more accountability. There has to be uh, a sense that somebody is watching the senior leaders because the way they behave is often reflected in the way the lower ranks behave as well. So, you know, you've got, it's a big department with a lot of diverse views in it, um, and, and it has to be brought to heel. Discipline is part of the military life, and the department and the military organization itself, you know, writ large, now has to be uh, brought into a more disciplined uh, kind of uh, regimen. So um, I really wish her well. I, I you know, uh, putting a woman in charge of a of a of an organization that has got big problems with women sends a very mixed sing- signal in my mind. It's no guarantee that she'll do better, but I think it is better not to have somebody from the old boys network. Uh, Sajjan, Harjit Sajjan, who I thought should have been shuffled a long time ago, is part of the old boys network. He is one of, he has worn the uniform. He's been one of them. He's operated at senior level. He was a staff officer, so he knows the generals and admirals, and he was ultimately too deferential. And I hope she won't be. So, I mean, I wish her well, but she's got a massive task ahead. All right, let's talk about the environment portfolio. When Stephen Guilbeault was first elected to the House of Commons uh, a couple of years ago, people thought he might end up in in the environment portfolio. Uh, But there were people who said maybe not because, and and the presumption in 2019 was that he he didn't get that job because he was too much of an activist in that space and had, had voiced some very strong opinions about what should happen with Canada's energy sector and so on already. Jason Kenney, the Premier of Alberta, has said the choice of Gilbo as Environment Minister is very problematic. Um, so uh, what do you think it's, it says that, that uh, Justin Trudeau has put uh, an environmental activist into this role? Well, uh, I don't know why anybody in 2021 would be surprised, other than Jason Kenney, who would be surprised uh, to see an environmentalist become the Minister of Environment. I mean, you, you don't get, uh, uh, you know, you do try to find people with knowledge and a passion for their file to serve in different cabinet posts. Um, I mean, Jason Kenney is all concerned about it. His Minister of Environment uh, worked in the oil and gas industry, and his wife works for a pipeline. So, I mean, you know, it's, yeah, Stephen Gilbo might turn out to be a bit too strident. I think the public service and the other kind of uh, elements of society around the environmental question will probably keep him in check. He's not going to have 
a green light to just go running around doing any crazy Greenpeace thing he wants, he's got to operate within the laws and regulations that are uh, that are existing out there in the country. Uh, Canadians are concerned about climate change. They're they're deeply worried about how it's going to be dealt with. Um, this is another minister who comes to it with high expectations, uh, expectations which may be higher than it's possible to uh, manage. But at the same time, I think it does reflect the concern of Canadians about climate change, and it would be utterly absurd to put somebody with no interest in that file into that job. So, uh, you know, he's got the job. Now it's up to him to show what he can do and not uh, cause chaos, but to... Uh, to bring about an orderly management of environmental issues over the next few years. All right, last question about the cabinet. Um, Melanie Jolie is the new foreign minister. Uh, it's the fifth minister in six years in that portfolio. And Marc Garneau is out of cabinet altogether. And there are still questions about why that happened. Um, and there are there are criticisms of the of the choice of Jolie, who who some people say is not a top performer in cabinet, and and yet is being given this important file. So, what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, first off, foreign affairs. Let's let's be honest about that, Mark. Even though we know it, it occupies a, a major space in the sort of mindset of, of official Ottawa. But it is an afterthought in most of the country. Uh, Canada is not a big player in international affairs. It's a middling middle power in which we try to do too good and and to do positive things around the world in our very limited role, in our very limited influence. Um, You know, I do share the concern you raised, though, that, I mean, you can't keep changing them every six months and, and expect... Um, our foreign allies, partners, and adversaries to have a good understanding of of where the Canadian uh, policy is. But uh, again, uh, this is not an area where a minister suddenly is going to change Canadian foreign policy. We're still going to be part of NATO. We're still going to play a role in the UN and in multilateral organizations. And and we're still going to have to deal with the United States uh, and that is a massive and sprawling file that is, goes well beyond the ambit of any foreign minister. So, um, you know, Melanie Jolie, I, I think she's been handed a couple of tough spots and, and has been working her way back into favor. But um, it's not the kind of high-profile job that's going to affect the lives of a lot of Canadians. And as such, I think it's a fairly safe place to put a minister who's rebuilding her credibility on the, on the political side. Hmm. All right, uh, let's turn to the results of the Alberta referendum on equalization. Uh, not surprisingly, a majority of Albertans uh, voted in, in favor of uh, the question, uh, 62%. Um, I think there, there might have been people who expected that number to be higher uh, because it, it's, um, it, it's, I'm not sure what the, what, the, what the no side would have been arguing for in this scenario. Uh, it's... it's um, it's more of a hypothetical question than anything else, although Jason Kenney says it's a powerful statement to the federal government and Albertans are demanding to be respected. Um, what, what do you think happens now after this, after this referendum result? Nothing. Nothing is going to happen after that referendum result. Um, 62% of people who voted said yes to this, uh, this theoretical question. Um, 
but only 39% turnout in Alberta. So you're, you're talking like maybe one out of five Albertans expressing an opinion on on this equalization hypothetical. And uh, that is hardly what I would call a ringing endorsement or a call to the ramparts or run the Alberta, Alberta flag up and drive out the invaders. I mean, this is just Jason Kenney's cant and propaganda. It's, it's got zero to do with anything real. Other provinces, I haven't heard any reaction from the other provinces. If this was an actual uh, if this was something to be taken seriously, I think the premiers of all the uh, provinces who are getting uh, equalization to be extremely concerned. I don't hear the premier of Nova Scotia or even the premier of Quebec saying much about it. I mean, this was entirely a political exercise. Um, and like everything else in politics in Alberta, it's blowing up in Jason Kenney's face. And, uh, you know, he can parade around with it all he wants. Nobody is fooled. Uh, Albertans did not turn up in droves to express their horror and shock and revulsion at equalization. Um, Albertans understand things a lot better than Jason Kenney gives them credit for. And I think that this result is the powerful statement, but the powerful statement is to Jason Kenney uh, that going, that changing equalization because he doesn't like it suddenly um, is not something that resonates in the rest of the country or even resonates very much in Alberta. So uh, I think the less said about it in other jurisdictions, the better. And I, if, the fed, if the feds don't say anything at all, I won't be surprised. All right. Great stuff, Dan. Thank you for joining us today. Okay, Mark. Take care. That's longtime political writer and broadcaster, Dan Legere. What I have right now as an extraordinary team that has reinvigorated that is ready uh, to step up and fight for the big things for Canadians. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues the new cabinet scores high on symbolism. The Star writes, In naming Anita Anand to the defense portfolio, the symbolism is obvious. A woman leading the department at a time when military leadership is being torn apart by sexual misconduct. On the environment... It's all about substance. By moving Stephen Gilbeau into that portfolio, Justin Trudeau has put a longtime environmental activist into the job he always wanted. He now has set the table for his third term in office. He scores high on symbolism, but the record is still to be written on substance. At cbc.ca, Aaron Wherry writes that Justin Trudeau's cabinet picks suggest he's a prime minister in a hurry. Wherry writes... There's no shortage of issues that can be viewed as crises, not only climate change and housing, but reconciliation, economic growth, and failures of leadership within the Canadian forces. Every federal cabinet is put together with the goal of actually getting a few things done. But if the demands of the moment are urgent, and if this government particularly needs to show it can make real progress, then the question is whether this is a cabinet built to deliver. In the National Post, John Iveson argues... Justin Trudeau has put together a no-growth cabinet. Iveson writes, It's absurd that at a time when Canada's energy exports look set to top their all-time peak, Trudeau has appointed as environment minister a man who opposes fossil fuel development in this country. How dangerous could Stephen Gilbeau's appointment be to Canada's economic and political future? We're about to find out. We are in the midst of the most profound economic transition since free trade with the United States more than 30 years ago. 
It promises to be hard enough without the government driving with the brakes on. At ctvnews.ca, Don Martin considers the good, the bad, and the ugly of the new cabinet. Martin writes, There are empty drawers in this curious cabinet. Veterans and rookies appointed for geography, gender, or ethnic reasons over merit. They set out to tackle a probable two-year minority government lifespan with a very clear mandate, deliver a legacy for Justin Trudeau. But with early signs of Trudeau checking out, the most powerful ministerial promotion in this cabinet was never explicitly named. That would be Christia Freeland, Minister of Post-Trudeau Transition. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will chair the cabinet meeting today. Ministers will be available to speak with the media after that ends at about 11.30 Eastern Time. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will take part in a virtual conversation with the Canadian Chamber of Commerce about Canada's economic recovery. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will speak with the media ahead of his party's caucus meeting. And Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchette will hold a news conference in Ottawa. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, October 27th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.